On today's episode of the Murder Shiro podcast, it's another Cabot Cove episode. Leslie Nielsen guest stars again after guest starring in season one as a love interest now for Jessica in this episode. Amos and Seth are back again for a fun-filled episode having to do with with buried treasure in the harbor near Cabot Cove. Let's get started! Hello and welcome to the Murder She Wrote podcast, where I watch every single episode of the hit 80s slash 90s show Murder She Wrote, starring three-time Academy Award nominee and five-time Tony, six-time Tony Award winner and multiple Golden Globe winner Angela Lansbury. Today we're going to be, I'm going to be talking about Season 3, Episode 6, Dead Man's Gold, air date, November 9th, 1986. As always, I spoil everything there is to spoil about the murderer, the suspects, everything in between. You cannot do a Murder Serial podcast without doing that. So if you've not recently seen this episode on Hallmark Channel, because they're almost to the end again. They go really quickly. Um, You can watch the episode for free. All 12 seasons are currently streaming for free on NBC's Peacock app. As well as all 12 seasons are currently streaming on the Roku channel. As well as on the Roku channel. The four TV movies that preceded Murder, She Wrote when it ended in 1996. Seasons 1 through 5 are available to stream on Freebie. Formerly IMDb TV app. But, in a latest development, in mid-September, starting next month, I believe, Murder, She Wrote will no longer be free. It will be in Peacock Premium. And you will have to shell out five bucks each month to be able to see it. That in the long-running show Days of Our Lives. Um, so if you are a big, huge Murder, She Wrote fan, you can go ahead and do that, but you'll still get to see the episodes for free on the Roku channel, as far as I know, as well as on Freebie. But if it's not on the Roku channel, which as far as I know it is, the DVDs, I think, is the best way to watch the show. The DVDs are kind of hard to find, but if you get the complete series, I think that's the best way. Because unlike most, uh, companies who re- who do a complete series and they take the discs and they put them in weird packaging. This one takes the individual seasons in their original packaging and puts them in a box all together and perfectly protected. And I just love it that way. But that's me. I feel like if you're passionate about a show and you love like murder, she wrote or the golden girls or whatever show you love, you should get it on DVD because you'd be able to pop it in whenever you want to to be able to watch it with no commercials. And that's the best way to watch a show. But you do you, whatever it is that you do, and however you watch Murder, She Wrote, I'm glad that you're listening to me talking about these episodes. Now, speaking of this one, it is very, very interesting. It is not as bad as Unfinished Business Or One White Rose for Death. But there is some confusion among, you know, is there a treasure? The motivation of the killer? And kind of that sort of thing. Also, Seth and Amos sort of like 
seem to serve no purpose in this episode. I mean, even though Amos is the sheriff. This is the first episode set entirely in Cabot Code. The first one, Unfinished Business, was set partly there, but was in like a neighboring town, so it's not the same. Um, and Amos is there, but he doesn't get much to do in this episode, except to contradict Seth again for the upteenth million time. I don't know why they have him doing that, but I'll get into that. Um, but honestly, I liked it because Leslie Nielsen came back, which I did not know that he guest starred again. It has been so long since I have covered my Johnny Lies Over the Ocean, which was the first episode that he guest starred in in season one with Vicki Lawrence. And I don't remember looking at his IMDb uh, profile thing and seeing that he had guest starred in another episode. So this was a surprise. And I always love Leslie Nielsen. And once again, he's playing sort of a captain-ish role, which is reminiscent of him being in the Poseidon Adventure where he played the captain in that movie. Um, and this time he's a huge love interest for Jessica, but nothing goes beyond this episode. Also, we get introduced to a new doctor named Wiley, and he says, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of each other now, and I don't know if he appears in another episode at all, because I do not remember him. So we shall find that out about that when we go over the guest star. So let's get into this episode, because I have a lot to say. And just to remind you, for the last year, I have been consumed with seasons one and two. So this is my complete, unedited, unbiased opinion of each of these individual episodes, which I have not seen in a long time because I've been so consumed with season one and two that I literally cannot remember watching this episode, either on TV or on the DVD month years ago. But I liked it overall. And I and I also spotted a future soap opera star who would play Jake Martin and all my children. And I'll tell you who he is later. Alright, so we start off this episode with the opening credits of Leslie Nielsen on a boat looking like a captain. That seems to be like, aside from the Naked Gun movies, his stereotypical role. Um, and his name is David Everett. And he gets stopped by Ross Barber and... This British guy, Gregory Small. Gregory immediately comes up and starts criticizing him that he hasn't paid back some money. Mr. Barber comes up and basically says, you know, don't do that. Just pay the money back to me that you owe me. And he says, okay, I will. This is a weird subplot that, in my opinion, virtually goes nowhere and is one of the confusing aspects of this episode. So meanwhile, we, we cut to, um, well, he says that he's there to find a treasure off of the harbor in Maine. And as if on cue, we cut to 
said boat. We get introduced to... We get introduced to Bill. Um, we get introduced to Alex, Kobe, Russell, um, and we get introduced to Susan, who is Bill's wife, who seems to just be there. And we also get introduced to Larry. They are all diving um, from the boat into the water. And eventually they come up with some ancient, I don't know, thing from a boat. And Alex immediately recognizes it as being 18th century. So they think that they're on the verge of finding the treasure. That there is, in fact, a boat in the water. They just don't know where it is quite yet. So then we cut to Jessica and Seth. who Jessica's going grocery shopping. She comes out and we get introduced to Dr. Wiley Graham, who's apparently a new doctor in town. Now, I don't know if we ever see this guy again, honestly. Um, I don't know. I don't remember seeing him before, and I don't know if he appears in any other episodes. But uh, he tells Jessica, apparently him and Seth were, went to college together. They both studied to be doctors, and it came true. And uh, he said that mostly, you know, he's going to work at the main hospital, which we got introduced to and keep the home fries burning, makes a second appearance in this one. Although we're told this is the state hospital, this is in Cabot Cove's own hospital. I mean, there was a reference to Cabot Cove having a hospital in Hit, Run, and Homicide, but I don't know if there's any continuity between the episode so far there hasn't been but anyway um he goes to the main hospital and that's where he is for the remainder of the episode but he has a weird comment where he says on the weekends you will find me out on the blue meaning the the harbor three sheets to the wind implying that he likes to drink okay I don't understand where that comes from or why that's there, but you know, and they go and they have this weird exchange. He goes, Seth goes Wiley and Wiley goes Seth and they go away. Well, they discover that Amos is giving Seth a parking ticket. So, um, they discover that, that Amos is giving Seth a parking ticket and he says that better be an invite to a clam bake. And he says, no, it's a parking ticket. And he goes, why in the blue blazes as to why? He said, you're parked next to a fire hydrant and it's the law. And he says, well, the next time your sciatica starts acting up, don't come crawling to me. Just then, David pops up behind Jessica and says, Jesse McGill? And she says, yes. And suddenly she kisses him. 
And she doesn't even introduce him to Seth and Amos, who are just like staring shockingly at, at them as she kisses them. And I noticed going back to the scene before where he's talking to those, you know, Mr. Small and Mr. and the other dude. I noticed that there were palm trees in the background and it didn't seem like we were in Cabot Cove. Like, I don't, I don't, because how would he be on that boat? But they would also be on a boat. I don't understand it. Just the continuity a little bit in this episode doesn't match up with what we're seeing. That's what I have to say. So anyway, he comes up, he kisses her. She's like, oh my God, David, it's so great. And she never once properly introduces Seth and Amos to him. Like, there's no, like, there's literally, they kiss, and then there's a cut to her house, and they're eating pie. And he says, I decided to come here and see you. And she said, well, well, I haven't seen you in 35 years. And he says, well, I got shipwrecked on some godforsaken island and got rescued by an islander that his cook had died from some depression disease you understand and and I learned how to boil rice in various different ways and she was like wow and you used to not be able to boil water who can't boil water you just put it on the stove and you wait till it boils I mean how complicated is that I don't know although it took me a while to learn how that that's how that worked so I can understand that. Never mind. Forget what I said. Anyway. He says that he's thinking of settling down. But she sees right through his bullshit. And basically. Uh, well since I said that I'm going to have to mark this as explicit. Sorry. But anyway she sees right through his crap. And she says why are you really here? And he's like, well, um, there's this sunken treasure here that I'm trying to find. She goes, right here in Cabaco? He said, yeah, there was this, there was this like British ship that fell down in 1777. And Jessica goes, I don't think I've ever heard of that. Well, I mean, how would you? It was in the 1700s, Jessica. And he said, it's not a very known story, so it's not really a legend or something of that effect. And he says, I have a bunch of people in the harbor right now diving, looking for this treasure. And uh, he said, you know what? Speaking of which, I need to get out there. And he says, how about you come with me to meet them? They're really great kids. And Jessica says, well, how about this? Why don't we have dinner later on? She said, I have to stay chained to my typewriter. I have to finish my book. And he says, all right, Jessica, we'll have, we'll have dinner. So we cut to, they're on the boat now. And again, they find something that looks like it's 18th century. And Bill's wife is on the boat, putting her lipstick on. And before Susan, her name's Susan, before 
like they found the 18th century thing and Alex was making fun of her because it was like little 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 quips here and there because she's always applying her makeup. She's not diving. She's not really doing anything to contribute to what they're doing. So Alex is kind of like making fun of her. Like little jabs here and there and like nothing major. bad. But enough to like... I don't know, be kind of like a little over over the top sometimes. Because she's like, maybe this wasn't a bad bad idea after all, you know, diving and doing this stuff. So then when they bring up this other thing, she says, oh, relax, Susan. It's not something you can wear. And um, they go around and they look at it. And he says, well, it seems we're getting close really because it looks like it looked like to me that it was like a thermos like one of those thermoses that like truckers take you know like an army thermos like it's green that's what it looked like to me I mean it was so quick I didn't get a chance to look but that's what it looked like to me so everyone has popped up except for Bill and and Susan wants to know what happened to him where is he you know and they're like, oh, it's fine. Well, somehow, and I guess off screen after we cut to them on the boat, after the opening of the episode, apparently David has talked the people he owes money to, to somehow investing in this endeavor of the sunken treasure. And they're like sitting on a rock, watching them with binoculars, and Mr. Small, the British one, is like, Oh, little Davy, he looks really not happy right now. I wonder what's going on. And then the other one is like, Man, when will I ever learn? I should have never invested in a sure thing. And I'm like, What? Did we miss something? Because I'm sorry if, like, your sole purpose is to, like, you're coming there because he owes you money. Why would you like invest your money in this endeavor if the other thing he owes you money for, you know, didn't happen and he owes you money. So why would you have him invest more like, or why would you invest more in whatever this is? So eventually we cut back to the boat and Larry comes up and Bill has run out of oxygen and has passed out and needs to be rushed to the hospital. We then cut to Jessica's house. Dinner has, has been over. And I really didn't understand the fashion in this episode. Like Alex is wearing this, what looks like a men's jumpsuit, bright pink with a belt. I mean, that was the fashion in the 80s. Like, in Friday the 13th Part 4, they literally had this girl wear something similar to that, where it was like a men's shirt, but it was blue, and they put a belt around it, and it was classified as a dress. And throughout this episode, aside from one scene where Jessica's wearing a skirt, she is wearing men's shirts. And I noticed that, and I don't understand why. But that was the fashion there, so I'm not going to criticize it. It is what it is. So anyway, um, 
Alex is very upset about about what happened to Bill. And this was something I didn't understand because I thought Kobe and her were a couple because they were kissing each other in the first scene after they found, you know, the 18th century part from the boat or whatever. So I didn't understand why she's like practically upset and she's like, you know, how could this happen? It wasn't an accident, blah, blah, blah. Well, eventually David gets a call from the people in the opening scene and he has to meet them later. And he says, okay, fine, I'll meet you. And he realizes or, or no, I think it was his lawyer that called. His lawyer called and he, sa and he says, oh, well, the, the money from my Swiss bank account didn't go to, go to my regular bank account. So now I, I'm low on money. I don't know if I can pay my hotel bill. And, just, and he says, well, since you're, you live in this town, maybe you can just, you know, give me a good word at the hotel. And Jessica says, I can do one better than that. I have a perfectly good guest room that hasn't been slept in in months. And he says, no, I wouldn't want to do that to you. The neighbors might start talking. And she says, oh, really? You think so? They think I live a very dull life chained to my typewriter. So it would be nice to have them talk about me. It's like, uh, I'm sorry, but they don't talk about the fact that wherever you go, people die. No. Okay. So it's settled. He decides to stay there. Meanwhile, they go into the living room and he had taken like champagne out. That was Jessica's that he found in a cabinet. He was like, yeah, I hope you don't mind. And it's like, well, is she supposed to say no when you bring it out in front of all the other guests? So they had opened it in the previous scene. And now Alex is visually drunk. She basically says that she wishes she had never signed the agreement, that it was ridiculous, and that they're all gonna, and that if anything happens to any of them, winner takes all. Meaning, if any one of them die, they get the person's share, whoever is left standing. So the stakes are high for this treasure hunt, which... In all fairness, they have not found any treasure thus far. And the second scene where Bill gets, you know, almost killed because he runs out of oxygen under the water is the last time we see them going out on the boat in the entire episode. Hence the confusing part, but we'll get there. So Alex is visually upset. She creates this huge scene in Jessica's living room. She's like, tell him what happens, David. And he explains about survivor takes all, winner takes all, that sort of type of, you know, sentence there. And she's, she's like, Kobe, you had to have done something. You said you checked the equipment, but how do we know? You could have messed it up. And he says, you're drunk. I'm going to take you home. I'm going to take you back to the hotel. And she was like, I don't want to go with you. Don't touch me. Leave me alone. But he, he apologizes to Mrs. Fletcher and he took, takes her out the door. And the camera cuts to like 
Larry and the various things. And Jessica seems to find it fascinating that Larry calls David Uncle David. Meanwhile, out on the road, when Kobe's driving her back to Hill House, the hotel, um, she doesn't want to be in a car with him. She tells him to stop the car and let her out. He won't do it at first, so she grabs the wheel. They struggle with it. And then finally he stops the car and says, You want out? Then get out. Then he stops her, gives her 10 cents to call somebody, to call a cab, and then $5 for the cab. And then he drives away and goes back to the hotel. She breaks one of her heels. And this is always happening in so many movies and TV shows. Like, I've never wore heels in my life because I'm a guy. And I've never been interested in them. But I don't understand them. Like, if they can easily break like that, why would a woman want to wear them? I mean, could you imagine walking and suddenly your heel breaks? I mean, that has to, like, really hurt. I could imagine. But anyway, but there are a lot of guys out there, a lot of, like, drag queens that wear heels, and they can pull it off. I mean, it is amazing. But me? Nah. And I, I've never known. I don't even think my mother wore heels. Like, I've never seen her wear heels in my life. She always used to wear flat shoes or tennis shoes. She was never the kind of person to wear heels when she went somewhere. I don't know. Sorry. ADHD doing it, wearing its ugly head there. You never know what I'm going to say. <laughs> anyway. So we cut to the next day. We cut to Seth's uh, doctor's office. Wiley is calling him. And this is Wiley's only other appearance in the entirety of the episode. Which makes me wonder, does he come back? Is there a point to his character? Is he going to end up like a, murder a murderer like uh, uh, Harry Pierce did in season two? Like, what is what are we doing here with this character? But he calls Seth and he says, Seth, I wanted to tell you, that guy that's staying with Jessica Fletcher, that David, he came by to see if the boy was okay. And I recognized him in being in some um, real estate scheme. I thought Jessica ought to know, but I figured you ought to tell her. And Seth said, well, thanks for telling me that, Wiley, but I think I ought to stay out of it. As it's none of my business. And he said, but thanks, Wally. And last thing on the phone call. We then cut to Jessica's house. And I forgot to mention that there was a scene in between this where David gets up in the middle of the night and walks out the door. Making us think that maybe he is doing some shady stuff. Well, when Jessica wakes up, um, he has made her scrambled eggs a la... David and he comes in and she goes it looks magnificent it smells exquisite and he then like leans over her like he's going to kiss her or something but he's actually fixing her scarf because you could see the tag Amos comes in at this moment and thinks that he's interrupting an intimate moment he clears his throat and knocks on the door and he says, well, act 
he says, are you involved with those kids who've been diving off the harbor? And he said, yeah. He said, well, uh, I believe the uh, woman, Alex, has been found dead out on the road. And I need you to identify the body. So we cut to the road, a chalk outline of her body. And Jessica basically says, this does not make any sense. She's not in the center of the road. She's on the side of the road. And Amos says that she was run over. But Jessica says it doesn't make any sense. There are no tire marks, no scorch marks where the, where the car stops. And they find glass on the ground in something, in a move I don't know. Sorry. In a move I don't understand. They pick up the evidence with their hands. Meaning the fingerprints that would have been on that are now gone. They have contaminated the evidence. So they basically just compromise the investigation. And of course, this is not addressed at all. And Amos says to Jessica, Now don't be making something out of this, Mrs. Fletcher, that isn't there. And it's like, wow, dude, what are they doing with this character? I was like, he seemed to, in the beginning, he seemed to be receptive. Like, at least in the first episode, Deadly Lady, he wasn't receptive when Ethan got Jessica involved in that first case in Cabot Go. But eventually, as time went on, he actually wanted her help. And even though in that one episode where he was like, I want to solve this one myself, he still could not figure it out. So he ended up asking her to help him solve it anyway. You know, and if a body met a body. So... In this episode, it's like he doesn't ask her to solve it, but he doesn't ask her not to solve it. And it's almost like he's not even involved in the final confrontation. When we find out who the killer is, it makes absolutely no sense. It's almost like he's relegated to the background. I'm starting to maybe understand why Tom Bosley decided to leave, which I don't know when he leaves, but this episode was just weird. So, so we cut to Hill House, and I don't know if they told this poor actor who plays Kobe to be as dramatic as possible, but he is dramatic as possible. He's like, oh my god, oh my god, I, I left her, I left her um, on the road there, and I told her to told her to do that so it's my fault whoever killed her it's my fault and uh, Jessica says well I'm sure something else happened and it had nothing to do with you I mean you literally thought that she would find her way to the hotel I mean it's a small town it's not like she could have wandered off or whatever and uh he says, and I went straight to bed and I asked for no calls, which is which was why she probably couldn't call me. Oh my goodness, I can't believe this. Well, meanwhile, Amos is outside um, looking at the various, like he's, again, fingering the evidence 
in his hand and figures out that the glass from the headlight matches the headlight on his rental car. So he goes back in and David's like, come on, Sheriff, we already know. He admitted to leaving her out on the road. And Amos says, well, he can admit it to me now because as I read him his rights, because the glass from the headlight matches matches his headlight. So all arrows point to Kobe. Meanwhile, we go to Seth's office again, and Seth says that Alex was not killed by the car. She was killed by a blunt object to her left temple, and then she was run over. Like, overkill. And Amos does not want to accept this. He's like, you, you told me she had been run over. What are you talking about? You know, like, it's not possible. And Seth says, yes, she was run over. But after she died, and he, and, and he said, oh, well, well, then it must have been she hit her head um, on, the, on the grill, and, and that's how the light got busted. And that's how she was killed. And he says, no. She would have had to have been on the ground on all fours to be able to be level with the car to get that kind of blow. And he said, and I didn't find any glass in the wound. He said, I would, I would deduce that it was a heavy metal object that killed her. He says, well, I'm not letting Kobe go. He's my only suspect until I see that autopsy report. And it's like, what? Him telling you is not good enough? Like, I mean, he's telling you what he found, but you're all like, no, I know something else happened. Like, or I know this guy did it. I don't understand the writing for Amos here. Anyway, so Jessica goes to David's boat and they're having some tea. I think it's tea. And they're sitting there and she mentions that she has brothers and sisters but not how many brothers or how many sisters. So, of course, she has multiple nieces and nephews. An explanation is finally given. There you go. But anyway, she remembers that David is an only child, so she doesn't understand why Larry is calling David his uncle. Well, David basically explains that Larry is a rich kid whose father basically paid for him to go on this expedition and that he's an owner of a computer, that his father owns a company that manufactures computers. In fact, sorry, forgot this part. Larry basically tells Jessica that he can get her a top-of-the-line computer with Novel Right, which has all kinds of different plot lines that you could use from Shakespeare to Sidney Sheldon, which I would love if that was an, uh, an actual program now, but unfortunately they don't have programs like that anymore. Sad, but true. It's hard to find a good word processor. Anyway, he explains that and says, once you look at the facts, the mystery goes away. So, at this point, Jessica is just stunned. Um, 
Seth goes to Jessica's house and finds that David is down. David is down stairs in his in a robe and Seth says so you're comfortable and he goes yeah and he goes nice jammies so Seth has come by to basically tell Jessica that they can go visit Bill Bill sends his uh wife to go get him some orange juice or water and then tells Jessica that Something is wrong, something that it was not an accident and somebody deliberately sabotaged the equipment. And he fingers Larry because Larry was always looking at his wife. Meanwhile, speaking of Larry, Larry's had enough of this exposition and decides that he's done. Since people are dying, he wants nothing to do with it and decides to leave. Mr. Small comes out of nowhere. I don't know if he's like lurking around for any reason at all. And says, well, mate, looks like you are in trouble now. And he says, what? All I need is $10,000. You know, maybe your little partner there would do it. And he says, I don't think so. So then David goes and Jessica's like, so Larry has flown the coop, huh? And he said, yeah, and I don't know what I'm going to do. And Jessica basically badgers him until he tells her he needs $10,000 and she agrees to give it to him. And I'm like, what? He's like, I need experienced divers, need all this stuff to continue this exposition. And she gives him the $10,000 without no question at all. Meanwhile, um... We still don't know who killed Alex, so Jessica decides to go back to the crime scene and try to figure out exactly who Alex called on her phone call. Amos first suggests that maybe she called the boat, or no, sorry, Seth does that. Amos maybe suggests that he called, she called Jessica's house. Jessica says the phone did not ring, and Amos implies that it might be her new guest. And she says, no, there's no phone in my guest room. And the phone did not ring, so it could not have been David that did this. She then goes back to the house. When she goes back to the house, she calls for David and sees that his coat is on the chair. She goes through the pockets and she finds a gun. David comes out of nowhere and she goes, David, what is this? He says, that's a 35. Easier to carry than a 45. And he says, as a mystery writer, I'm surprised you don't know that. And she says, well, why do you carry it? And he said, why does anyone else carry those nasty little things for protection? She goes, David, you need to be honest with me. Why did you leave the house the night that Alex was murdered? He said, I had to meet Mr. Small and Mr. Bo Berger, whatever his last name is. And I... And he said, and then it turns out I didn't need it because I was able to talk them into another deal. And due to your $10,000, I now have a chance. Well, Jessica says, we have an extraordinary library in Cabin Cove, and I found out that Larry is the owner of his own company, not his father, and that he didn't need his father to help him go on vacation or something like that. He says, I agreed to basically be discreet and not give away Larry's real involvement of why he was in the exhibition. But he's gone now, so it doesn't matter. David decides to go to the boat. 
and leaves Jessica alone. Seth and Jessica go for a walk around the beautiful ocean view around Cabot Cove. Jessica's still trying to figure out who Alex called. Seth suggests that maybe she called the boat. And And she said, well, no, you wouldn't need 10 cents for that. And finally they stop and they sit on some rocks. And Seth pretty much lays it out for Jessica. He says... Your new house guest might be a cold-blooded murderer. And he said, you're not looking at this with your brain. You're looking at this with your funny bone. I don't know why they didn't just say heart. She said, I knew David for 35 years. I don't think he's capable of that. And he says, or she says, I've known David. And Seth says, correction, you knew him 35 years ago. People can change in that amount of time, Jessica, and you need to stop looking at this in the lens that he's your friend and look at it that he might have something to do with this. So Jessica then gets up and runs away and he goes, what is this, the Boston Marathon? So she gets back to her house and she finally decides to to confront David and she goes, you know what? I've been turning a blind eye to everything. I haven't been confronting you like I should be and asking the hard questions that I have to ask. Why all the lies? Why are you really here? And David basically lays it all out for her. He basically tells her he's there for the treasure. He did not kill Alex and he did not try to kill Bill. That he's in it for the money and in it for the treasure and that's it. And he also took the history of Cabot Cove from the library, which he wasn't supposed to do. And he decides to leave. Jessica's like, I can't believe you're going to, you know, go out and leave during a murder investigation. And he says, haven't you had, haven't you figured me out yet? I mean, you all voted me most likely to flee the scene when things get tough. That's me. It was sure great seeing you again, Jesse McGill. And you picked the right guy. You obviously had a really great life with Frank. You definitely wouldn't have had a good life with me. And then he walks out the door. Before he does, though, he says that he left a word of farewell on the bookmark. Jessica reads it out loud, and it says something about, I could get used to sleeping in a feathered bed. Thanks for the memories, or something to that effect. Love, David, or whatever. So as Jessica is throwing her key in the air, she then has her epiphany. She goes down to the sheriff's station. Kobe is about to get released from prison. I mean, from the jail cell. And Amos goes, but somebody belongs in that cell. And it's like, yes, we know. Anyway, Jessica looks in Alex's purse and finds what she's looking for, the room key, which has the number of the Hill House Hotel. Again, suspicion falls on Craig, but as Jessica points out, I mean, Kobe, not Craig. I don't know why I said Craig. Um, Suspicion then falls on Craig. Again, I said it. Sorry. Kobe falls on Kobe. I don't know why I said Craig. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Suspicion again falls on Kobe. And Jessica points out to Amos that he asked for no phone calls to disturb him so Alex couldn't have called him 
So our killer turns out to be... Dun, dun, dun. Susan? Yeah, apparently she tried to make it look like an accident, but Bill wasn't supposed to get the oxygen. And she found the perfect opportunity. Apparently she was planning on murdering somebody. We don't know who. But Alex just so happened to fall into that trap because Alex called her to come get her at the hotel. Since she couldn't get through to Kobe's room, she called Susan. And Susan went to go get her. Since Alex had been making fun of Susan and making fun of her looks and all of that, pretty much... She killed her not just for revenge, but also for the money to get the share of the treasure. And Bill, poor Bill, is just really shocked at this realization and cannot believe that his wife is killed for this specific reason. And Amos is not even present during this confrontation. I don't understand why. And then, if I'm to understand this completely, there is no treasure. The boat got washed away due to a storm. It did not sink in the harbor where they are. He somehow manages to get all the money back and gives Jessica her $10 back in an envelope. Like, I did not understand this part. Like, I don't... Like, was there a treasure? Also, the title does not make any sense because it's Dead Man's Gold and there's no dead man. You know? So... Again, really weird and misleading, but the episode ends with David going off and nothing happens with Mr. Small and the other dude, except that he gets them on tape trying to extort, extort money from him, but he had borrowed money from them, so yeah, again, I don't understand that part either. But the episode just ends with him going off, selling out to sea on his boat, going in selling off into TV Oblivion because we probably never see him again. I don't know if we see Wiley again, but overall, you know, I wanted to like this episode, but like the whole treasure thing makes no sense. Like there's no explanation. Is there a treasure? Is there not a treasure? What was the point of Susan killing Alex and trying to create an accident. I mean, one of her motivations is she was trying to get the money for her and Bill, but another motivation is, oh, I never fit in with them because they think that I'm all about my looks. Well, when you're sitting on deck applying your lipstick, what are you supposed to think? What are people supposed to think? Although there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I don't know. It just seemed like a double entendre that just did not make any sense because there's not enough scenes with Susan to establish enough between a banter between Alex and her. Yes, there was those two scenes where Alex was making fun of her, but it wasn't anything, you know, said like in seriousness. It was said in fun. So I don't understand it. I just don't understand. It's a weird, weird, weird episode, but not as bad as Unfinished Business or One White Rose for Death. So let's go over the uh, guest stars, and I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I cussed. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes it happens. Alright. So we got Grant, 
Goldie as Larry. And I really didn't understand his whole character arc either, to tell you the truth. He's still with us. He just had his birthday on July 6th, so happy belated birthday, sir. He is known for Fear, First Encounter, 2005. Assault Recon, uh, Star Fox Assault, Team Fortress 2, and Meet the Engineer. Um, I think those are video games. Last known credit, Christmas in the Pines. He was in Google Translate TV series, Twin Peaks remake, Army Wives. Yeah, Fear was, was a video game. It was a video game. So was Star Fox and Meet the Engineer. Seventh Heaven, Pandora's Clock, I have no idea. Northern Exposure. And eight is enough wedding. Oh, and he will. He was in Lovers and Other Killers as Jack. I do not remember him. I seriously don't. But he will appear in one other episode of Murder She Wrote in 1988. So we'll go over more of his guest starring roles then. But I swear I didn't recognize him. But then again, Lovers and Other Killers was not that was not my favorite episode. Due to the weird secretary in that. And he wasn't the weird secretary. Dr. Wiley Graham was played by Robert Hogan. Let's see if he appears in more episodes. He died last year at the age of 87. May he rest in peace. He is known for Species 2, 1998, Batman, 1966, Secrets of Midland, Midland Heights, and The Rockford Files. Last known credit, Minority TV Show. Guest started in Law and Order Special Victims Unit, the original Law and Order, as Judge, Ed, The Wire, Law and Order Criminal Intent, Deadline, Now and Again, One Life to Live, All My Children is Dr. Bell. Okay. He played the cop in Death Cast a Spell, and he will appear in another episode as Wiley, and then another episode as someone completely else. So interesting. We'll find out what happens to Dr. Wiley Graham. I am curious to find out. We'll go over more after when we get to that episode. Our murderer is played by Wendy Kilborn. And I did not recognize her, I don't think. Or yes, I did. She's still alive. She's known for Midnight Collar, North and South, books one, two, and three as Constance. I knew I recognized her, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Her last known credit is The Cape TV series. And she appeared in all three miniseries based on the North and South book series, which I love the book. Midnight Caller was a TV show. And this is her only episode of Murder, She Wrote. Pity. She also was in Hotel. The A-Team, Riptide, co Cover Up, the Colander Girl movies. 
Knight Rider, and her first, uh, she was also in the original Dynasty, and her first credit is Three's Company in 1982. Oh, uncredited. Okay. Interesting. Her husband, Bill, was played by John Lonigan. And I don't think I recognize Bill. Um, he's still with us. He is known for The Rock, 1996. Footloose, 1984. Crimes of Passion, 1984. And The Lawnmower Man, 1992. Um, he is going to be an upcoming thing called Cloudy with a Chance of Christmas. Probably a TV movie for Hallmark. He guest started NCIS, Web of Lies, The Defenders, Criminal Minds, Strong Medicine. I love that show. Operation Delta First Four, Knots Landing, Back to the Cold Sack, A Perry Mason Mystery, The Case of the Jealous Jokester, Tales from the Crypt, China Beach, Knots Landing. Equal Justice, Fire, Trapped on the 37th Floor. That was a good movie. And he will appear in another episode of Murder, She Wrote in 1988. All right. We'll go over more of his guest roles when we get there. Ross Banter, one of the bad guys, was played by Sean McCro... McCrory, McCrory. He died in 2003 at the age of 79. He's known for The Quiet Man, 1952. Them, 1954. The Californians. And Valley of the Dragons, 1961. His last known credit is a TV movie called Body Bags. Okay, wow. He was in The Wonderful World of Disney. This is his only episode of Murder, She Wrote. He was on Falcon Crest, Simon and Simon, Fantasy Island, Bring Him Back Alive, Trapper John, M.D., General Hospital, Battlestar Galactica, Columbo, How the West Was Won, The Blue Knight, The, the Little House on the Prairie, and The Runaway Caboose, Gunsmoke, The Virginian, The Beverly Hillbillies, The Guns of Will Sonnet, Daniel Boone, The Outcasts, Family Affair, Lost in Space, Tarzan, The Maroons, Convey, The Outer Limits, Rawhide, My Three Sons, Perry Mason, Bonanza, Lassie, The Rifleman, The Detectives, Tales of Wells Fargo, The Californians was a TV show, Chrysler Theater, 20th Century Fox Hour, General Electric Theater. He was in a lot of stuff. A lot of old movies like Dick Tracy. Different things like that. Good for him. Our murder victim was played by Julia Montgomery. She is still with us. She is known for Revenge of the Nerds, 1984. Anatomy of an Illness, 1984, Revenge of the Nerds 3, 1992, and One Life to Live from 1977 to 1980. 
Last known credit, Bothered TV show. Never heard of it. Young and the Restless. Wrong number, TV miniseries. Revenge of the Nerds 4. So she was in a lot of Revenge of the Nerds. Never seen any of those. Columbo, In the Heat of the Night, The Magical World of Disney. Who's the Boss? Remington Steel. Anatomy of an Illness was a TV movie. And I think this is her. Also, she was on Full House. Yeah, this is her only episode of Murder, She Wrote, and she only has um, 43 credits. So she wasn't in a lot of stuff, but she was good. I liked her. All right, let's check out Leslie Nielsen and see if he's going to appear in another episode as this character or any other characters at all. He died in 2010 at the age of 84. Such a great actor. He's known for, of course, Airplane, 1980, The Naked Gun, The Naked Gun, 1991 and 88, and Wrongly Accused, 1998, which was, again, a comedy. Last known credits, Donerville. Alright, let me stroll down here and then see if this is only his last episode. Oh, uh, yeah, this is his last episode of Murder, She Wrote. Of course, he's also known for being in Prom Night with Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, lots of TV movies. And, of course, being in the scary movies and the Naked Gun series and the airport series, Don't Call Me Shirley. Um, such a hilarious comedic actor. Love him. Eddie Peck played the role of Kobe Russell, and I immediately recognized him as one of the, as an actor that played Jake on All My Children. He's known for Kyle XY, All My Children from 2000 to 2003, the original Dallas, and Young and the Restless. He's in post-production for something called Bright Ideas. Last known credit, though, was Divorce Texas Style in 2016. But yes, I recognized him as playing Dr. Jake Martin on All My Children in 2000. I was an avid viewer of All My Children with my grandma, my mom, and my aunt. He was also on The Young and the Restless as Cole Howard from 93 to 99. He was also into Grandmother's House We Go with Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen. He was also on Days of Our Lives as Howard Hawkins from 1991 to 92, and the original Dallas as Tommy McKay in 89, and the original Dynasty in 1988 to 89, and Curse to the Bite, I have no idea what that is, Highway to Heaven, Cheers, this is the only episode of Murder She Wrote, Knight Rider, and his first known credit is Wildside in 1985, a TV series I've never heard of. So yep, I recognized him right away, because I grew up with that show. And our last guest star is Ian Rusklin, who played Mr. Small. He's still with us. He is known for The Omen, 2006. The X-Files 1998 movie, How to Train Your Dragon, and 2010, and A Good Year, 20, 2006. Last known credit as an actor in 2019, Missing Link, Star Wars The Clone Wars, Empire, 
The X-Files, Days of Our Lives. He was on Days of Our Lives from 1986 to 99. And, or 1990. And then he will appear in another episode of Murder, She Wrote in 1993. So we'll go over more of his guest starring roles then. Alrighty then. That is all our guest stars. Overall, I have to say... I did enjoy this episode. I just wish it was more clear whether there was a treasure or what exactly was supposed to be going on here. But I loved Leslie Nielsen and Jessica's chemistry. It was beautiful. I wish that Seth and Amos was used more properly in this episode. But we still got a lot more episodes to go. And I hope you, you are following along with me and enjoying this journey as much as I am. Have a great day. Night depending on when you listen to this. I still pray for peace when my head hits the pillow. And happy crime solving, and I'll see you in the next one.